as you go along and nobody asks you out, you feel worse and worse and worse and less hopeful about it. I hate to see that loss of hope. It can be a discouraging place. Yeah, I feel like it seems like everyone says it's difficult. Kind of different stories to share and commiserate <laughs> with each other about. It's rough. <laughs> it's really rough. Yeah. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today we're talking about dating as a Catholic. As you heard in the intro, all is not well in the world when it comes to this process by which we are somehow supposed to find another human being that we want to hang out with for the rest of our lives and even make little human beings with. Our culture has arguably lost its way on how to do this, and Catholics have to navigate that reality. I got so much material for this episode that it's going to be a three-parter. Try to contain your excitement. First, we're going to spend some time with Dr. Carrie Cronin from Boston College, who has been made famous through the movie The Dating Project, and with others commenting on the college scene. I went to BC to meet Carrie in her own habitat. You're not late. <laughs> no, not really. I was, as I was walking over, I thought, oh, she could have gotten here like half an hour or an hour ago. Oh, no. Oh, okay, good. I'm Carrie Cronin. I um, am an adjunct philosophy teacher at Boston College, and I am the associate director of the Lonergan Institute at Boston College. And you're in this gorgeous building. What building are we in right now? Yes, we're in Bapst Library on the main campus of Boston College. This is the this building is the jewel of Boston College. It's spectacular. It's a great place to be. Carrie has been working at BC for 23 years. About 15 years ago, after a campus event, she and the eight student organizers went out for ice cream. We were just talking about life as a senior in college and, you know, setting out into the world and what that was going to look like. And I just happened to ask about dating and relationships. And they didn't seem to know what I was talking about, or they, they just informed me that I was being naive and that that was not a thing that they did anymore, that hookup culture had sort of taken hold, and that they were active at different times in their college careers in hookup culture. And so, and I knew about it, as I often say, I had read about it in the New York Times, so I was, I was woke, and um, right. But I realized that what I knew was from scholarly articles and books, and so I started just asking students on campus. And and I'm pretty blunt, and I'm pretty forward with students, and, and I like students, and I love to talk about their lives. So Carrie realized that this was true, that students weren't ever going on what she called a traditional date, two people just getting to know each other in a non-sexualized environment. As she said, this phenomenon has been widely reported on for years, and there are indications that it is not just a college issue. My coworker, Teresa Swick, shares some thoughts on factors that she sees are involved in the collapse of a healthy dating culture. It's very challenging out there, and I think a big, big factor in that is that I don't think even us Catholics have been unhurt by the sexual revolution the prevalence of artificial birth control, 
an unhealthy feminism. There, there is help, really great feminism, but then there is a false feminism as well. Also, the effect on masculinity and manhood. I think that men and women have both greatly suffered, and and so I think we're really feeling the effects of that in the dating scene. She just got married herself a little over a year ago, so the scene is very fresh for her. I think what most people would say is there's just not enough dating. For whatever reason, there seems to be um, kind of two polar places, a place of hesitance or non-action and a place of desperation. And those two places really don't mix well. (laughs) Um, Which kind of acts against everyone. So Teresa found her husband despite the mess that our culture is in. But what if you're just out there as a Catholic wondering what to do? Back to Dr. Carrie Cronin. Different cultures can lose important scripts. They can lose knowledge when they don't pass it along. And I realized, oh, dating is a script. It's a cultural, social script that we use to help ourselves, right? To move through, to navigate a a tricky time in our lives and to help us with decisions and discernment about those decisions. And the script had been lost. Students at BC didn't know how to do traditional dating. They didn't know how to make their interests known or what to talk about or what to do if the other person says no. And so they're sort of grappling with wanting relationships, because that's natural, wanting love and romance, but not knowing how to go about it in a way that makes sense. And the cultural signaling on that is just all wrong. Uh, You know, the media, movies and TV and music and literature is just not helpful right now. It's, it's, It's just kind of warped especially if you're Catholic and you have a concept of the purpose of dating as leading toward marriage, the fact that in TV, movies, really every modern love story, that people sleep together right away or jump into their really deep psychological issues on the first date isn't helpful. I wish I could say that I had this big plan for this and I I was so intentional about it. But as with most things in my life, I just assume it's everybody's lives. I just sort of stumbled into it and then was kind of feeling my way through it. She was teaching a senior capstone seminar and it seemed like a good way to introduce the students to dating. I decided that one week we were going to talk about romance, dating, and relationships and falling in the idea of falling in love and so we talked about that it's funny because through all these years i've never actually taught a class just on dating but everybody thinks that i do (laughs) it was always a piece of a larger sort of project of thinking about your life in an intelligent responsible and contemplative way she made it really casual and it was more of a suggestion the students were really excited about it but they kept not doing it. They would come back week after week after week and want to talk about that. And they kept saying, oh, I can't think of anybody to ask. And I was like, what are you talking about? There's 10,000 people here and they're all great and smart and ostensibly have the same kind of values as that you have. And, and they kept sort of raising these these issues, and I, which weren't issues. And I thought, what's going on here? 
And at the end of the semester, of the 14 young people in the class, only one had taken the challenge. Only one. By the end of the semester, only one was able to complete it. And he was sort of looking at the other students like, what's wrong with you guys? But I realized that I just ha- I had just given a challenge with no supports. So the next semester, I thought, well, I'm just going to get this right. And I, I actually wrote out rules for the assignment. And I, I'll, I admit, I just made them up. You know what I mean? <laughs> Carrie just used common sense, or rather the common sense that she had been given when she was younger, to explain to the students how to go about this. Here are the rules she gave them. Number one, ask the person out face to face, not through a screen. Number two, if you ask, you pay, but this date shouldn't cost more than $10. Number three, the date should only last between 60 and 90 minutes. Four, no physical contact except for an A-frame hug. Five, no drugs or alcohol. She provided the students with a list of cheap dates around Boston and conversation starters. I told them they only had two weeks to get it done. And they had to write a reflection about it afterward and talk to each other in class. So, so they knew that if they couldn't get it done, they were going to have to talk about why they couldn't get it done. So, and I also said, look, you you have two weeks and you have to find somebody who will go out with you. So by the way, don't wait until the 12th day because you may want to ask somebody out and they may say, not so much. <laughs> and so you got to, I, now I say to students, you got two weeks, get it done. You need to ask somebody tomorrow. Let's go. And guess what? You probably know who that person is. If you just really sit with yourself for a minute and admit it. So the dating project was established, and students know that if they take Dr. Cronin's class, that's part of it. So do students tell you, or do you just think it's true, that they, they like having any excuse? Absolutely. Students tell me all the time, it's so nice to have an excuse to do this. I've had students say regularly about the senior s- seminar, this whole syllabus looks great, but I'm taking this class so that you will make me go on a date. And I think, isn't that true? You could just go on a date. <laughs> but okay. And she leaves it up to the students to decide if they want to tell the person they ask out that this is part of an assignment. Whatever is going to get you there, right? If you want to blame it on some crazy lady in a class, that's fine. I can be that. I'm happy to be that. If you can do it cold and you want to challenge yourself in that way, go for it. But, you know, you have to pay attention to who you are. This is about some self-knowledge. Who are you? And how well do you know the person? Is this, like, totally out of left field? Is this person, have you been, you know, scoping this person for a while and they have no idea who you are? Then it might be good to say you have an assignment that you're not just creepy. And, you know, so you have to figure out how to read the situation and read yourself. A professor at Providence College heard about what Carrie was doing and thought it was a great idea. My name is Paul Gondreau and I am a professor of theology at Providence College in Rhode Island. He wasn't ready to assign it for a grade, so instead he offers an extra point on the final exam if his students go on a date. I'm Mr. Amateur Hour compared to her. She's really, she's really thought the thing through. 
Paul realized that Carrie was right about the cultural script being lost. Well, you know, when I was in college, so this was the mid-1980s, certainly, you know, um, promiscuous sex was widespread. But dating still happened, you know. Uh, guys would ask girls out on dates, and there was a certain kind of uh, protocol that, you know, everyone was more or less aware of. What I call it is the art of dating, how you get to know a person, you know, what was commonplace in college in my day was a quick jump to sexual intimacy. But at least there was the semblance of dating, relationship. So this is one of the challenges that we're finding is that, at least in, in my effort to try to encourage my students to recover what I call the lost art of dating, is uh, what you and I took as obvious and didn't need to be spelled out. For them, it doesn't need to be spelled out. They don't even, they don't even know um, what a date means or how to, how to go about doing it, how to proceed. Providence College bought 130 tickets to the Dating Project movie that features Carrie's assignment. They said, come on out for a free movie night. The movie was full of largely, largely Providence College students. So it, was, it was really kind of an electric atmosphere. After the movie was finished, uh, everyone in the movie theater, students, they cheered, they clapped. Paul saw students afterward who really got something out of it. I had a conversation with three students in particular afterwards. Three guys. I would describe them as your typical dudes, right? Your party culture guys. These are academically speaking, you know, they're smart enough, but they, for the most part, do minimal work for the class. They, uh, um, they're kind of on the bubble academically. They, they do the bare minimum. Talking to them after the movie and they loved the movie. They loved it, and they were excited. One of them said he felt better about himself just watching the movie. And I encouraged them. I currently have them in class this semester. So I said, all right, I want you guys to take the dating challenge, do the dating assignment. And I offered them. I said, and I said I'll give you two bonus points on that paper if you do the dating challenge. They were all excited. They thought that the movie was entirely on target. They were just super excited about the prospect of dating a, a, a girl. Instead of just going to a party and, and maybe having some hookup experience to actually getting to know, know a person, I was so impressed and so encouraged by that. I couldn't have wished for better, more positive feedback from not only uh, what the students said, but the type of students that said it. Our two interns at the USCCB, the ones featured in my Young People episode, Elizabeth and Kelly, affirmed a lot of what Carrie and Paul see on campus. Here's Elizabeth, a current student at Catholic University. Nobody has asked me, like, on a oh, date. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. And that, that in that, itself. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. What, I mean, well, whatever. You don't yeah. have to be asked on a date. To f- I mean, kind of. That's yeah, kind if of you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what the heck? Yeah. Okay, people. That in itself is really something. Elizabeth is beautiful, smart, and kind. As far as I can tell, she's a catch. And it's a small school, so everybody knows everybody. And if you're dating someone, then everybody will know in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think that's one of the things that actually makes it harder for guys to ask girls out? Because they feel like as soon as they ask you out, it's like you're married, which, which is not mm-hmm. healthy. Yeah, I think because the dating pool is a lot smaller and then if you date somebody, you can't really date their friends, which automatically 
shrinks it exponentially. So it is a bit challenging. Yeah, especially with everybody knowing everybody and just word gets around of he said, she said, this happened, this happened, and the truth gets lost somewhere in the middle. So I think that also can play a role. Hookup culture is alive and well. I kind of see these days now, like, the physical relationship happens a lot more before any definitions or labels are put on it. Because I think people are so afraid to label themselves as an exclusive entity or a couple. I don't think anybody wants to do that anymore because they think that maybe something better is out there or I don't know. Hooking up can always be explained away as a result of alcohol or a mistake while dating involves actual choices that are personal and meaningful. Yeah, like courting, like from years ago. Like that doesn't happen anymore. I don't think it does. One of the really interesting things that Dr. Cronin brought up in our interview is her observation about why dating is so hard for BC students. It's these high-achieving people, and to run into something where you're rejected you can't figure out why, and there's no appeal, and you're never going to be able to figure out what the answer was. And for somebody who's really high achieving like that, it's you're not used to it, right? You're not used to somebody saying, no, end of story, right? No, full stop. You know, the because it's the, well... Yeah, but if you rewrite this paper, or yeah, but if you work a little harder at this, yeah, if you, you know what I mean? And so it is devastating. And, and I think for a lot of men, it looks like the arena where they could just get beaten down and they have no, there's no recourse. I'm going to admit, y'all, this resonates with me. Dating is an area of life where you're vulnerable and you have no control. That is hard. This is one area of your life where effort does not correspond to success. If you're a soccer player and you put a lot of effort into it, you're going to get better. If you're studying history and you put a lot of effort into it, you're going to get better at it, and etc. But in this case, in the case of romance and love, you can be your best, most interesting self, and it could, on paper, you and I could just be so well-matched, but it's just not there, or it just doesn't kind of click. It just doesn't work. And there's not much that we can know about that. <laughs> there's just this thing that's either going to work or not. I mean, there, there's other things, too, that, that you can account for. Like, don't go out with somebody who has totally different values than you. But there's this click that has to happen, and no amount of effort is going to make that happen. This aspect of Carrie's thought rang true for one of my other coworkers. I'm Robert Vega. I work for the Subcommittee on the Promotion and Defense of Marriage with the USCCB. Robert is a graduate of Harvard Law School. I think we can all agree that he qualifies as a high achiever. So listen to what he asks women to do if they are turning down a date. So the question of fit is very key and you know i do think saying we're not a good fit has legitimacy i guess i would add if one has the time and energy to you know come up with a particular you know example then of a trait that you know each of you has and then you know illustrate why 
you know, you may not be a good fit. And there may be some protestation from the person being broken up with, potentially, but it seems to me a little more real than just saying, we're not a good fit, that's it. Robert wants to understand. He wants to be able to point to a tangible reason that you're saying no. And sometimes there is one. For example, I once told a guy that he should really look for a sporty girl because that was clearly important to him and not to me. But sometimes there's not. But at least I think we can all agree to do this. If possible, and this is more likely after a few dates, find find one redeeming thing about the other person. And, and you know, when I say this from the guy's perspective, but I'm sure it can go both ways. Find one thing you really like about the other person and include that unique particular thing in the affirmation because just hearing oh you're a great guy but dot 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 no longer interested you know that feels almost you know worse than anything else because it does feel very forced fake and patronizing and you know and the person you know still questions their value because they are being turned down by another person for partnership like that's you know a profound thing and we all go through it and you can't avoid it and it's people definitely have to be very discerning um, and selective at the end of the day. But yeah, if you can, you know, if you can find one quality to really affirm in the other person when when those times come, I think potentially that could go a long way to having that person be better for whomever they meet next and help kind of transform our Catholic dating culture a little bit. I asked my friend, I asked one of my friends what she thought about Robert's request. The time or the inclination is a good way to put it too, because I think it is reality that sometimes you don't owe that person anything. So just to like help them along their path and you're swamped with life and you just don't, you need to end it and not drag them along or ghost them. But like, you don't really have the capacity to think through this whole thing, you know, and that's okay especially after like two dates or one day. But like, yeah, if you can and you feel kind of so called to do, like you never know, that really could help them along their journey. And yeah. that's what we're about, helping our fellow man. So, but like, I don't think it's an obligation. My interviewees also talked about how dating apps have changed the culture. Gosh, dating apps have changed this so much. When I started talking to people about this, students about this 15 years ago, there weren't really any dating apps. There were dating websites, right? Match.com and eHarmony. But whenever I asked students about that, they would say, oh, that's something that their aunts and uncles did. So that was sort of for old people. And they thought that was like desperate. So so I said, oh, okay. And I I used to kid them and say, let me tell you, someday you're going to go on Match.com and you're going to realize that the stalking of people you can do, and I say that in the most uh, innocent of ways, the, the kind of finding out about people that you can do on Match is so much less than what you're doing on Facebook anyway. So don't tell me that it's creepy. You know, what you do on Facebook is pretty darn creepy. And Instagram now and all that. Dating apps are big right now. A lot of my friends use them. They're going to, my friends are going to kill me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like a lot of people actually at Catholic University do use dating apps. And I think that's interesting because you see people who are in your classes on a dating app presenting themselves in this way that you either know to be true or untrue based on actually knowing them and then asking them out on an app when you sit next to them in class is kind of interesting. One quote-unquote advantage of dating apps is... 
And it's nice now because you can say, oh, these are my religious beliefs. Oh, these are my political leanings. Oh, this is where I went to school. And for better or for worse, you can weed out individuals based on that without having to go through the awkward first day experience. Like, oh, I really do not agree with your political beliefs. This is not going to (laughs) work. But what does a dating app really tell you? All you're getting is just a really quick visual of the person. And unless you pay for the premium, you've got a really short amount of time to make a judgment about that person based on almost nothing. These are building the habits in us of discernment via physical attraction, which is is totally disrespectful, or it's not totally disrespectful, but it's it's somewhat disrespectful of the wholeness of our dignity, right? And the idea of swiping somebody away is so harsh. And does it make us happy to just scroll through person after person? Swipe, swipe, swipe. It's a harsh environment. It's a really tough thing. Students say to me all the time, it's tough out there. There's no joy uh, connected to love and romance and dating for them. It's all drama and harsh judgment. What kind of habits is this cultivating in us? They they want to build in you the habit of the infinite buffet. They want to build in you the habit of looking over the shoulder of the person you're looking at to see who's next. And, and that's what they do. As soon as you pick somebody, they immediately are going to send you 20 more people who are sort of like that so that they can build this kind of addiction to the next better thing. There's a theme potentially uh, of expectations being too high. And that's not to say that it's, you know, settling is good or putting up with a bad person is a good thing to do. But you, you notice in the general population world, people using dating apps and treating everyone they date as really disposable because Mm. they can just keep flipping to the next person on their phone and keep finding someone more pretty, someone more educated, you know, whatever the case may be. And they keep chasing an ideal that they may never fully meet. Cell phones themselves have changed things in our relationships with each other. Here's Paul from Providence again. The technology is also uh, a new element that was not, cell phones and whatnot were non-existent when I was in college. And how, of course, that gets in the way just makes people be disconnected from each other. They're always on their phones or they don't know how to interact socially. Students can be largely deprived of interpersonal social skills. And to ask out on a date, they send these text messages and they're, Bank. Uh, they don't really know. Is this, am I being asked out on a date? What is this? And Robert. Ideally, take the step to go beyond the screen. You know, don't ask someone out via a social messaging app or text message. Face to face, I think, is a stronger act, and I think most women will appreciate that. If you really want to trip a woman up but impress her in a good way early on in dating, make a phone call. After a first date, instead of texting to say you had a nice time, call her and let her know. Or call her and ask for the next one. And if it doesn't go well, then that's fine. My friend who shall remain nameless talks about the annoying mental gymnastics that texting involves. 
I guess I also don't love sort of the the games of like how you know how quickly or long to take to respond to a text, um, which like phone call or even emails or it seems like it's more acceptable to let time go by and not good at nor am I usually up for texting back immediately but then you're like oh shoot is that not expressing enough interest or maybe you do want to and then you feel like you should wait like I think that all stuff annoys me. Here's Madeline Watkins from my office at the USCCB. I think the more personal we can be in the modern day and age that we live in where we seem to be more stratified from one another through technology the more personal we can be with one another in our engagement with others in the workplace and our family life friend life and dating life the better it just it helps to bring back the human so i want to end part one with a good story a student success story from dr cronin's class and by that i don't mean that the students we're talking about ended up getting married only that they had a good healthy simple first date This young man, we'll call him Steve, asked his classmate out, we'll call her Anna, for a Sunday evening after he and his friends went skiing. So he writes in his reflection this this thing, you know, we're rushing back, but there there was traffic, it was snowing, and I was afraid, and he's talking about how nervous he was that he was going to be late or miss it and really blow it, and he got back and he jumped in the shower quick and he, you know, shaved and he gets there and he just gets there right on time in the nick of time and he's so excited. So Steve goes to meet Anna at her dorm and they start walking to the center of town where they're going to get coffee. And Steve realizes that their conversation is really shallow and about nothing. And Anna keeps checking her phone. He says, I I just think if this is what a date is, I just don't ever want to go on one ever again. But instead of giving up, Steve decides to change the story. Hey, I'm here. I'm going to do this. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to turn this around. So he just starts changing the whole tenor of the conversation and starts really asking her questions about who she is and why. And he tries to tell her things that are important about himself without oversharing. And he says it changed the whole thing. And he said... What was really amazing was for the whole rest of the date, the coffee and the walk back, they talked about amazing, they talked about art, they talked about things that they valued in life, their hopes for the future. They talked about really significant things because he had taken it upon himself to change it, to change the direction. And he said this, he said, I realized that from that point forward, when I made that decision, Her phone kept buzzing and she didn't look at it once. That's what the students grabbed onto. Immediately when he talked about that in class, everybody knew what he was talking about. The desire to have somebody just stop, just stop and get off that high-speed train and just see you. And everybody knew, it was so easily communicated through that, that that she wasn't looking at her phone even though it was buzzing away. Everybody knew that what was being communicated was, was real and sincere and that it was lovely. You go, Steve, not your real name. <laughs> Lots more to come in part two, people. I'll leave you with a thought from Teresa Swick. God's plan for dating and marriage has everything to do with us being made for love. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, 
writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.